you know obviously there is a huge amount of user base that is kind of coming up into and i do think asia is going to bring in the next billion users in gaming that is going to come from india and and southeast asia there's already talk about india giving in another 350 to 4 400 million users in the next 3 years in gaming market alone and then there is whole of southeast asia when you look at indonesia you look at philippines thailand malaysia that is you know another 200 to 300 million users that you can add so this is going to become a very vibrant market Hi everyone, it's Yuval Passov, your host of Game on Asia, a podcast about the mobile gaming ecosystem in Asia. Today I'm talking with Ismet Gukshin, managing partner at Ludis uh, from Turkey and Vikas Gurlati, founder and CEO at Jamebox Games out of Singapore. Why should you listen to episode number nine of Game on Asia? Because as you know, this is the best episode ever and one of the best way to explore the mobile gaming ecosystem in Asia. In this episode, you will learn about the gaming market in Southeast Asia and India. Which market should you focus on in Southeast Asia? Are there any new ways to monetize your games in India in addition to IAP and ads? Why are microtransactions key to success? And is there any similarity between Southeast Asia and Turkey? And why a VC in Turkey decided to invest in the region? In case you missed our previous episode, make sure to check them and discover the gaming markets in the region, including China, Japan, Korea, India, Vietnam, Australia, and Indonesia. Enjoy the episode and make sure to subscribe and check our website, gameonasia.net. Enjoy the episode. Great. So, so let's start, guys. Uh, thank you very much for uh, joining uh, today, Vikas and Ismet. Great to host you in uh, Game on Asia. Thank you, Yuval. Great to be here. Great to be here. Yeah, and, and I think that I always uh, like to start, uh, instead of me uh, introducing yourself, um, just if you can quickly introduce yourself and, and kind of like your connection to the gaming world in, in, uh, in one minute or, or less. So um, I'll start with um, Vikas and then uh, Ismet. Sure. Happy, happy to um, go with first. Um, so I'm Vikas Kulari, founder and CEO of Jambox Games. We are a competitive game publishing platform, uh, a very early stage company launched in Q4 2020. Um, our vision is really to kind of power some of the biggest hits coming from game developers in Southeast Asia. Uh, you know, we want to help those developers scale, grow, reward, monetize their games across the globe. Um, prior to Jambox, uh, I was global head of publishing and uh, performance for Ad Colony, which is one of the largest video video networks in the world. Um, you know, I, I kind of worked with them across Singapore as MDA pack. And in the last role, I was managing their global business. So I've been in 20 years in the industry at tech and gaming. Great. Ismet? Um, yeah. Uh, so just to do a quick introduction about myself too. Again, my name is Ismet. I'm the managing partner of Ludus Venture Studio. Uh, basically, I'm not a finance guy. <laughs> you can call me as a digital marketeer person. Uh, in the beginning of my career, I have several years of experience in corporate firms like Coca-Cola, Pfizer Pharmaceuticals, Rekit Bankisar. Uh, then, just like Vikas, I shifted to AdTech. And also, I worked several years in a company called AdColony. Again, just like Vikas. For those who don't know, AdColony is one of the leading mobile ad networks in the world. And our relationship with Vikas relies on that time. 
Uh, it was a really good school. I had a chance to work on mobile gaming, mobile gaming marketing, user acquisition, monetization, etc. Um, then eight months ago, with the support of very reputable investors uh, from Turkey, uh, we founded Ludus. Uh, Ludus is a venture studio. We are investing in early stage gaming startups. We don't have any jail restrictions. Um, of course, as we are based in Turkey, we tend to invest here easier, but our idea is to find uh, the good talent uh, wherever it is. Um, so yeah, that's a very short, brief introduction about myself and a little bit intro about Ludus. Perfect. And and if, if I continue with, with you, Ismet, anything that you learn about yourself during um, this pandemic that it doesn't seem to end soon. Uh, yeah, first, um, securing my mental health. <laughs> so it's one thing which was really important. But besides that, uh, what I can say is doing business, like building relationship without face-to-face meeting. So I think we underestimated it a lot. Um, if you ask me before pandemic, if somebody asked me, would it be possible to invest a million dollar without meeting a person in face to face? I would definitely say no. Like we're talking about millions and millions of dollars. I, I never see the dude, right? Um, so, but, but pandemic changed everything. It forced us to do business uh, without having a personal interaction, without meeting a person in face-to-face. For example, uh, when I was working in Ad Colony, uh, I was traveling eight out of 12 months of a year just to manage relationship uh, and just to do business. But after the pandemic, it's not like that. So you have to learn, uh, build a relationship, trust the person, uh, like build up a transparent business communications via Zoom, which is a huge challenge uh, in, in my point of view, especially for Turkish people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so you actually, you know, you invested in, in, in Vicky's company and, and you didn't meet uh, him in person, him or the team, right? Yeah, we, we, we knew each other from the ad colony period of time. So it's a little bit different scenario. But for example, I never see his team or other co-founders like CTOs, etc. So yeah, it's it's also valid in that situation. Think about like that. I'm, I'm, I'm a Turkish-based venture studio investing in Singapore and never visit their office, never see the team itself. Yeah, so it's a new era. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely quite amazing that, you know, it's, it's, as you said, completely different culture, but at least you have like an anchor, you know, someone that you met in the past and you worked with. Um, that's great. And, and Vikas, from, from your side, anything that you learned about, about yourself in, in this pandemic? Yeah, so that's 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 an interesting one, right? So Jambox actually is born at the height of the pandemic, right? We we were actually established a company in Q4 of 2020. Uh, I was in the US back then. Uh, US was in a lockdown, as you would recall. Last year was not good for US. Now even now they're struggling. You know, it's coming back in third way. But uh, but I can tell you, uh, it was not an easy set up right mm-hmm. uh, think about all the things that you have to go through as a founder and when you're kind of establishing like from uh, thinking about making pitches to the investors finding the right investors getting them to convince i didn't meet even one single investor face to face all of that initially i was very skeptical about it like whether it's going to happen or not but i met like 15 18 different investors all through zoom um, you know think about all the hiring like today we are 18 people but i can tell you uh, sitting in november of 2020 
and i was alone uh, it was looking like a daunting task like i had a clear vision of what i wanted to build but you know you yeah. have to build a team to get get that to happen but you can't you can't go out and i was in the us actually back then when when the company got established i was hiring all the team in in asia think about all the developer partnerships right like that we were trying to get on and mm. none of them would happen face to face so amazingly uh, amazing right i would say what i discovered really is that you got to believe in yourself right like you got to take the first step you got to start that journey you know there will be definitely bumps along the way few setbacks that come come uh, right in like you you can't avoid that but you know those are the things that probably kind of get you stronger and kind of even make you believe more in what you what what you want to do and what you want to accomplish uh, you know so i'm happy to kind of tell you where we are like we are now 18 people strong we've got office in vietnam and ismit is talking about he hasn't met the rest of the team i can tell you i've not met 90% of my team okay there are few people that have, <laughs> I, you know i've not met it's only through zoom i've interviewed through zooms yeah, obviously i know them well because we do stand ups and all that stuff that we do but this is the reality and that's i think pandemic has taught us a lot of things uh, and i think it's the new normal how the business is going to be done in the future in the coming days and and years actually yeah yeah actually it's it's quite amazing and i think that also looking back at how we did business right flying you know 8 out of 12 months and now you actually see that you managed to do a lot of stuff and maybe you know that all that travel was not necessary like, yeah I yeah actually <laughs> <laughs> but but actually i think that you know some of the gaming events and conferences are are quite quite nice right so we yeah. we we need to have this balance but but thank right. you for yeah for for sharing that i think that uh, it's it's quite amazing what you managed to do for one person to how many now 18 you said 18 people yes absolutely all all remotely Um, yeah. and I think that as as we go deeper into you know what you actually doing uh, and I think that something that I wrote to myself that there is you know a huge gap and a market opportunity uh, for independent platform or or any kind of company that that can help developers you know with their games uh, in Southeast Asia and be able to go outside of Southeast Asia and compete in the global level if you can, just go a little bit deeper uh, into this topic so you know it's a very interesting one and that kind of um, um, invigorates all of us at jambox right now so the developer ecosystem in apac and especially the emerging markets such as southeast asia and india is at the cusp of breakout Uh, you all you would know uh, there is tremendous amount of um, talent which is coming in they are setting up developer studios you know obviously there's a phenomenal amount of capital that is also flowing in and starting in in asia so you look at new venture funds which are gaming dedicated which are coming in so there is definitely more capital accessible to game developers today now what that enables for developers is to build great content uh, great ip the next next big hit game that you can think about doing it but what developers definitely need help is to make these games uh i would say more world class you know they should be able to kind of just compete with some of the biggest developers and publishers so there are two things that we're doing just that to help some of these independent developers um in 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 accomplishing uh, what what they would want to do as 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 developers at one level 
what we're doing is we are building up uh, what we call as the competitive gaming infrastructure. This is the backend services that will allow developers to convert their single player games uh, into multiplayer social competitive games. Okay. Um, now, the competitive gaming is definitely at the heart of what we believe is the next big trend, which is which is there. And uh, you've got to think about uh, competitive gaming as uh, enabling a format which makes the content even more exciting. When people compete with other players, from all over the world or they compete with their friends and family it generates tremendous amount of excitement so that's that one thing that we are kind of doing and the other end what we're doing is we're enabling what i call is a suite of tools that will allow these developers to take their games globally you know think about all the data sets that they would uh, uh, need you know setting up all analytics setting up attribution user acquisition and monetization ismant uh, i had a quick Quick question for you, because as you mentioned before, you know, a lot of the investments um, uh, are, are in Turkey. Um, but in this case, you decided to expand to, you know, to investment in Singapore, in Southeast Asia. Um, maybe if you can just uh, tell us, you know, what, what kind of like attracted you to, to this investment, uh, because I believe that there is a lot of risk of, of taking something that is, is far away from, from your headquarters. Yep, uh, for sure. Um, so actually, right now, the 20% of our total investments are dedicated for South Asia market. So actually, we invest 20% of uh, our total fund uh, r- right now, and which is uh, higher than we initially planned. We didn't expect to invest that much amount of money in, in that region. But uh, the short what is the total? Uh, what is the total fund for now? The, the f- Uh, Our total fund size is $30 million. Uh, Right now, we spent uh, approximately seven or eight between something, a number between seven and eight million dollars. And 20% of that number is is actually spent on uh, Asia Pacific market. So we are talking about more than $2 million investment we already did in this Mm -hmm. region. Um, Short answer is potential, of course. So there's a huge potential uh, in terms of uh, talent and gaming startups in, in, in South, Southeast Asia. There are really good talents, independent studios and, and uh, gaming startups in India, Indonesia, Vietnam. So talent is there. But one thing to mention, I think Vikas also touched similar points. Uh, to unlock that potential, you need two things, right? Uh, first, scouting. And second one is capital. So without that two things, the ecosystem uh, won't, won't get bigger. And it is a very similar scenario that happened in Turkey compared to these countries. If you look like four or five years ago, what happened in Turkey is uh, they were some good companies, but the ecosystem was not that big. But mm-hmm. there were some potential. We know there, 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 is, there were talent. So what happened is with the support of right scouting and right capital, uh, the market is boomed. So we are expecting similar trends in the countries like India, Indonesia, and Vietnam. And we believe we may see uh, similar success story, success stories that happen just like in Turkey. So that was the that was the main reason why we invested in and why we are, we will continue to invest on those regions. And one thing also to mention, I think it's really important is everybody is complaining about hyper casual business, right? When I listen podcasts, everybody saying that. The games are super simple. It's it's killing the gaming business. I completely disagree with that. I think hypercasual and publisher publishing business is integral part of an ecosystem to accelerate and grow. Because again, if you look the requirements of two main pillars, scalping and capital, 
publishing business itself is also helping the market, right? So, for example, Jampox, they are scouting the right talent. They're finding good independent studios, whenever size it was. And they're helping Mm -hmm. them with prototype payments or other financial models to make them uh, survive in that competitive ecosystem. Yeah, so again, like first, of course, potential. But second one is right timing uh, with a a wind coming through from the hyper-casual business itself. Yeah, and, and I think that as you said, timing and potential uh, summarize it all. Um, if I move to you, uh, Vikas, it would be great to learn more about Indonesia because India will talk later, Vietnam, everyone know that the market is booming there. What do you see in, in the Indonesian uh, mobile gaming market? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there are, uh, again, Indonesia is another region, another country which we are very, very excited about. So I would say Vietnam, like, is probably a little ahead of the curve when it comes to Southeast Asia. You already have um, a good amount of success stories coming out of um, uh, out of Vietnam, right? You've, you've seen success of Amanoats, you've seen OneSoft, you've seen Athena, there's Game Jam, a lot of uh, publishing companies that have come out of it. Great talent, um, you know, they've, they've been able to churn out good games. Um, in Indonesia, we believe it's just a little two years behind. But uh, you've got great um, companies which are now being set up. There are studios, independent studios like PT Mantras, which is coming in Jakarta. Uh, a great studio. It's a, it's a it's a small team, ten people team who's building primarily casual games, um, decent uh, decent sized uh, portfolio of games. They've got a couple of casual games. They've also kind of ventured out into hyper casual games, uh, and they are yet to make a mark. Right, most of the games are probably are scouting at like maybe. Uh, 100,000 to 200,000 users, right? That's how they've kind of uh, built their profile. Uh, but then there is uh, tons of other studios which are there in Bandung, uh, in, in the Java region itself. And Indonesia is producing a whole lot of developer community out there. And I think part of the equation is also about, you know, we talked a little bit about before the podcast, is about uh, the currency crisis. The developers know that when they produce games, these games are getting marketed globally. Their ability to kind of earn in dollars, right? Like when you go out and, and and, uh, mobile games by default being a global business, it's out there. So a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, interest and traction with the developer community to build games. Specifically, um, I would say you know uh, these these studios are focused on more casual and hyper casual games at this point of time. Uh, hyper casual is obviously a you know a couple of year old trend that is still consistent, and I agree with this one. I think it's it's here to stay. Uh, a lot of people are kind of kind of calling off premature death of hyper-casual because of the game unit economics being very, very difficult in some sense. But I think um, uh, the reality is uh, it gives an opportunity for developers to create a very exciting content. The barriers to entry in gaming have been going down. You know, the accessibility because of Unity, uh, you know, the way that entire product is built out, it's very easy for developers to learn and build games. And access to capital, which is the other part, has become tremendously easy. So Asia has got now gaming-focused funds uh, which are providing capital. And that kind of is just ensuring that these studios are able to produce lot of good content out there which gives an opportunity to a platform player like us to go out and take this content globally yeah that that that's perfect and, and just to to clarify something that, that you said that the the currency um, in Indonesia, what were you referring to? Uh, I'm not sure that yeah, I understood what, that. What I was saying was that you know all, all the currencies have been actually uh, uh, under pressure. 
right? Uh, so there's a downward trend. So everybody wants to kind of earn in in uh, in uh, dollars, yeah. technically. So when you are actually operating on uh, mobile games, most of your uh, earnings actually are happening uh, in in US dollars, right? Because that's the default currency that operates on on Apple Store and Google Play Store. So a lot of the developers are actually very very excited about getting into gaming itself. You know, there is tremendous amount of interest. You know, we've been part of uh, developer. This is not at Jambox, we've not traveled very recently, but at, at Colony, when we worked with our developers, they were like developer studios coming up every month, two, three, four studios setting up, and there are great games getting published out of there. Yeah, so, so you mean that, let's say, the, the, the companies in Indonesia are not looking uh, to publish game um, that will address the local markets um, because they understand that it will be very hard for them to be profitable, right. so they can go global if it will pick up locally, great, but that's really not, not the purpose. Yeah. Absolutely. You, you, you're spot on there, right? So uh, the way I would uh, kind of uh, define the market today, you know, obviously there is a huge amount of user base that is kind of coming up into, and I do think Asia is going to bring in the next billion users in gaming that is going to come from India and, and Southeast Asia. There's already talk about India pretty, giving in another 350 to four, 400 million users in the next three years in gaming market alone. And then there is whole of Southeast Asia. When you look at Indonesia, you look at Philippines, Thailand, Malaysia, that has you know another 200 to 300 million users that you can add so this is going to become a very vibrant market but what is happening today is that the yields in these markets are still pretty low and that makes it a little unattractive for uh, some of the global companies to kind of look at it but i do think over the next 3 years that's the other point of it i think the opportunity exists in the markets on both sides right that at one level you will have you will have a lot of Western publishers who would want to kind of enter uh, and grow their games in, in Southeast Asia and India. And then at the other end, because the barriers to entry of game publishing are or in game development and publishing are going down, some of these developers will be able to kind of take their games to Western markets. So it's just a flow of, of uh, uh, talent and game content from both sides. That's where yeah. I see um, yeah, yeah and I think that uh, it's it's just about like the 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 other question that I had. You know, you mentioned like going east to to west, um, right? And that's what we discussed: uh, developing in Indonesia and the other markets, uh, and going to Western markets. But can can we do it the the other way um, in terms of of trying to scale? Um, you know, Western IPs that might not fit to the Indian. You know, market, and you need to customize it in a way. Um, yeah. What, what, what can you tell these developers that thinking about scaling? And I'm not talking about like you know Japan, Korea, China. I'm more talking about this region. Um, anything yeah, sure. that can yeah. be useful for you um, to to share with them in terms of advice. Of course, like, you know, uh, you, to answer your question specifically, the answer is yes and no. You know, there is definitely a huge market, right? When I talk about billion users, I, I don't think whether it's Rovio or Zynga or uh, Machine Zone or Supercell, all these companies wouldn't want to kind of uh, miss out the opportunity that exists in uh, Asian markets. But there yeah. are specific nuances that you have to keep in mind, right? One, um, the typical models of IAPs have not been very, very successful in the past. Okay, because, uh, you know, the ability of these consumers to pay and even the intent in many cases, because the earnings are, are very small. Most of these guys are not going to be paying as big um, IAPs into it. But again, that doesn't mean there is no IAP. In fact, these markets are now 
tremendously innovating. So some of the recent success stories, if you are looking at watching closely India uh, uh, recently, you know, there is uh, Mobile Premier League, which is MPL. There is Vinzo, there is Zupi. Now, uh, what they've done is they've kind of uh, come out with their own version of uh, a platform solution, which is competitive gaming, where people are actually coming and competing with each other uh, and even um, putting in stakes, right? So each of the players actually put in um, put in money, which is so this is called real money gaming, basically. You, yeah. you put in stakes, you put in wager, you play the games, whosoever wins actually takes the money back out of this. Real money gaming is becoming a huge, massive trend in India in the last year, year and a half. But what, what most people don't realize is the real innovation there is actually in the microtransactions. Mm-hmm. What they've enabled is uh, is what they call it. Nobody pays a dollar or dollar ninety nine or two dollars. Nobody does that. There, the actual transactions is happening in you know INR five or INR seven, which is essentially five cents, ten cents, even lesser transactions which are taking place. And these transactions are happening in higher volumes. Right, so you know we call it the invitational pricing or sachet pricing, like you know, you know micro packets which you're doing, and that is kind of enabling a huge infrastructure. So today there is talk about then India being in the next uh, two billion dollar uh, gaming gaming hub which is emerging, and this two billion dollars is going to become five billion dollars in two years from now without even you uh, noticing it. So there's tremendous amount of um, uh, growth opportunity that exists in all of India and Southeast Asia. In that sense, um, I do believe there are a couple of opportunities for these companies to look at it. Asia, by default, for example, is more uh, social, more competitive and multiplayer. So you've got to have your games which are um, which are operating in that space. And you can see that very clearly, right? What MPL is doing, what Zupi is doing, or what Winzo is doing. These are all real money games centered around competitive gaming itself. There's microtransactions which are, uh, which are doing it. And you never know what is the next big thing. So I think a lot of the global publishers will have to adapt okay the conventional models of you know premium games with ips or premium games with ips or relying purely on advertising because the advertising yields in these markets are abysmally low right that's where you that's where you don't make money right so you'll have to really evolve adapt and 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 innovate to uh, to come up with with the right mix yeah, and, and definitely, as you said, we will see a lot of innovation coming from this region. Uh, Isman, back to you. I wanted to learn how is it like to invest, um, you know, in India. It's far away from Turkey, and it's kind of a, a long-distance uh, relationship, which is always hard to manage, I think. Yeah, uh, th- this question is really, really, uh, really, really linked what you asked in the beginning of call, right? First, pandemic. Pandemic helped us a lot because even the Vietnam's investment companies are communicating via Zoom. So there is no yeah. differences communicating a Turkish company versus Vietnamese because of that. But but, but besides joke, of course, there's cult- cultural challenges, right? Yeah. Uh, so that, it's it's something, and sometimes they don't want to. And I think that regulation and and legal stuff that is is quite different in let's say in India, Vietnam, Indonesia, right? hundred percent. But but again, I I I think that as a least least priority, right? Because you find okay. a way, you find a way for that legal and and technical capabilities. But again, the most important thing is whether a co-founder want, wants to work with you or you wants to work with them. And it's all rela- relies on relationship. For example, as a Turkish studio, I'm putting my capabilities, I'm putting my font size, I'm putting what I can 
bring a gaming studio as a Turkish venture studio, and they are putting on the table what they want to do, what they need. And if you if you met on the on the common ground, yeah, you're doing an investment. If not, you're not doing. But but yeah, it's not easy. Uh, it's not ideal, I know, but uh, it it can be happened. For example, we closed two deals from Asia Pacific, right? One of them is a great talent who is Vikas, and we have another investment called Goma, and we have two other in our pipeline. So yeah, uh, we did it. Uh, it is possible. I'm not saying it's it's too easy, yeah. uh, but it's a matter of building up right relationship and finding the right opportunity. I can say. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Ismet. Um, Vikas, anything that you want to add? Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess what Ismet wanted to say was money finds a way to the deserving talent. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. As long as, as, long as uh, he, uh, you know, the candidate or the company is deserving, the founders are deserving, money will find its way and it's, it's the vice versa as well. You know, the yeah, I just want to make sure that, you know, money will find a way, but hopefully, the, the, you know, the money will find a way back also. I think that's, <laughs> yeah. that, that's I think that's my my concern here. But yeah, no no, no worries. Um, but but, but one, thing, one thing to mention, you all. I think yeah. it's, it's a really important what you say, right? If you say if you said same thing about Turkey five years ago, probably people was feeling the same way, right? They're they're hmm. they're they're feeling the same way what you mentioned. Uh, yeah. But. Uh, there were no problems, right? If you look how many exits happened yeah. in the last five years. So I understand the concern and we're, we're, we're carrying the same, right? But it's a risk. It's not yeah. a barrier. So people need to understand that. And risk is everywhere. Of course, yeah, yeah, in some yeah. countries, it's a bit higher and some countries a little bit less. And, and you all, just to add to the point, you know, just specific examples, what is starting to happen right now is you, you are really having meaningful exits in the space coming from Southeast Asia and India. In India alone, in the last month itself, there are very meaningful exits. Nazara, which was one of the older companies in gaming in India, went for their IPO and probably valued at, I think, over a billion dollars, if I'm not wrong. I think they were valued, priced at about 700, 800. But after the IPO, they hit over a billion dollar mark. Um, there was this play simple um, uh, exit that happened. That was for IDG Ventures or Chirate. Uh, that's, that's happened at over $200 million or even actually, at, I'm sorry, I'm bad with numbers, remembering numbers, but over $400 million. That's, you know, the, the initial mm-hmm. investment in that company was only about 20 million, right? 15 to 20 million is all they kind of took in. Um, there's a moon frog exit that st- happened in, in last, uh, I think, uh, two months that's over 90 million dollars as an exit so you're already seeing sparks uh, of uh, what's what's coming right and this Mo- mostly is in when, india right that's the all yeah, the examples from india yes more, most in india but there are other exits which are starting to happen like or the money is starting in vietnam for example um you know uh, applevin has recently done uh, a big acquisition of a studio i think it's not being disclosed but it should come in but it's pretty well known in the local uh, local market um there was this there's Amanotes, which is valued at a pretty high um, yeah. thing. So, you, 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 so there are companies which are really attracting um, not only just capital, but they've been able to create a very, very successful business, successful franchise, a portfolio of games that can that can create an impact um, at global level. Okay, that, that's that's great. And I think that what do you think is the role of of this like you know multinational gaming companies that you see more and more in the region opening office like, you know, Ubisoft and, and Tencent and, and, and Riot Games and so on. Do, do you see them, how do you see them as part of the ecosystem? Yeah, so, you know, 
Ismail, you mind? I, I can take this first, right? I'm sure you have a point of view as well. But the way I, the way I look at it is, you know, we actually touched upon it in our previous question. So these companies are obviously looking at these huge emerging opportunities, right? I'm absolutely convinced that these markets represent next 500 to a billion, 500 million to a billion user base that is coming in. None of these companies want to miss out on that opportunity. I think these offices are being opened up with a purpose of trying to figure out how we can penetrate market, how can they take their uh, games, how they can adapt their games and 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 get users to uh, to like it. And I think there's a certain amount of localization, adaptation, customization that will have to be done to these games. But the other big side of this is a lot of these companies are also publishing co- companies, Ubisoft or Tencent, right? Um, they are also looking at uh, this as a hub. I know a lot of investments that are happening which are primarily for acquisition of content right uh, so both ways i think they are they are probably looking at these as a big market for their existing portfolio of their games and they can definitely not make this happen from china they cannot make this happen from the us you need to have local teams sitting in markets who are thinking day in day out on how to kind of penetrate um, these markets so that's that's where i, I think that's that creates a great opportunity for independent studios developers because this is this is infrastructure, right? This is lifeline. Uh, what what is happening in Asia at this point of time? Ismet, you want to add anything on this? Uh, yeah, maybe like very very small comment. So so I understand the appetite of the global firms to to invest that region. Um, so I need to choose my words very carefully. I don't want to be roasted after this call after this podcast. Uh, but the reality is uh, the approach, right? The approach, and we, and we saw similar thing in Turkey. Uh, so if they hire a country manager, just that is, and put the money and expect some return from the market, I don't believe it's not going to be a work at all. Uh, because let's look the Turkish example, right? There are a lot of global players try to unlock the opportunity in the Turkish market. It didn't happen. So because what they what they have did is they hired some couple of senior guys and they gave the money and that's all. What they should do is they should build up the right team. Not only the person, but they should invest right uh, employees, right teams, or maybe buy a right studio who can actually know the market very well and 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 make it make it happen, right? So I'm I'm telling you with a full transparency. If you ask me a success of a global global uh, big player uh, to find a good good studio in Vietnam versus Vikas team finding a good studio in Vietnam, I I bet on Jumpbox because the reality is. You need to have some local connection uh, in the market. You you need to know the people. You need to speak their language. So that that's the risk for the big players who wants to be part of this journey. Uh, so the, the it's not going to be happen like I I hired this guy. I put that amount of money and I'm going to manage the operation from the San Francisco or or Hong Kong. I don't believe it's it's going to be work. They need to be on the table, on the field. And that's how they can su- success. Yeah, I think that it's it's a, it's a great comparison because, as you said, uh, amazing things happening in, in the Turkish gaming market and you just hear more and more, you know, exits, IPOs and, and, and so on. Um, and definitely, hopefully, Southeast Asia will, will follow that. Um, in the same time, you know, the big publishing uh, companies are looking uh, for the same. And I think that it's it's not just a publishing, right? It's a big, you know, uh, the Zingas and, and, you know, the, the other big gaming companies. Everyone is looking 
to acquire companies or looking to coinvest or strategic investments and and so on how do you manage to kind of find a way uh, in between that I feel like if there is a good game with good metrics they will throw money at him right from different direction and, and you need to have a kind of advantage you're absolutely right like there's no dearth of capital I have to acknowledge the fact that it there is there is surplus amount of capital which was uh, sitting on the sidelines waiting to invest with with, uh, with developers if you've got a good game and a good IP but more often than not you all the reality is uh, if the game is already hitting all the metrics you've got a great content great product which is hitting in then then there is no uh, nothing to no brainer right like it could be the, the reality is most games are always on the edge or they are like sitting behind it's the work that is required to past that finishing line to cross that threshold benchmarks that you want to do there's all that gap and that requires a lot of work you know you have to look at data most developers are not equipped to understand data like how do you how do you, what are the metrics to look at how do you look at user engagement how do you look at compute user values you look at cost of user acquisitions how do you model all that stuff it is not inherent in the DNA of of developers and that's where they need a lot of help now technically uh, you know uh, you know large publishers DNA in their operating business model is they they look for those core metrics if the game hits it they will take it otherwise you know Chuck Chuck you and bye-bye like that's how it kind of works out but you um, know in, in our plans in our business models what we do is we we try and do what we call as preferred deals with our partners where we work very deeply today you may not have a game or you have a game it does it's not does not meet your metrics we try our level best to expose them right we tell them exactly how is their game performing what is working in their game what is not working and we're building very very sophisticated dashboards so that they can get inside uh, out of that data right it's it, that's where i think the platform models differ differs from a publishing model pure publisher model yeah sounds good i think that i have two two more uh, questions one is specific is, is about india and, and i think that we started to discuss about the the global companies coming to india and targeting you know the one billion uh, I think that with geo and the access of internet and and even that you know the transaction or the, the average value is quite low but still a lot of potential um I heard that you know you need to develop games that are more customized um what would be your your advice if you know as, as a global company I want to you know scale my game to India yeah I mean Okay, you can see the transition happening and I'm sure a lot of the guys are probably watching this transition uh, and that kind of gives you what's going to happen in the future. India, in conventional sense, was a very limited market. There used to be very limited amount of IPs that used to exist, primarily based on Indian mythology or characters and all that. I'm talking about 2015, 2014. Those were the games that were prevalent. Between 2015 and 2018, there was a sudden burst of all these um, card games, right? Rummy and, you know, Bingo and and poker and those kind of blackjack those kind of games kind of took over and that was really the market like like there was no casual games people used to play you know obviously the angry birds and and toon blast and all those games out there but literally there was very little money these are not people who are spending a lot of money in the games the real money was really happening on 
uh, on those card games and all that. Cut back to what has happened in the last two years, you can see the transition where casual gamings are now becoming more relevant and more, um, uh, um, you know, more adapted content in in the market. That's on the back of social and competitive features. What you you're doing is you're allowing people to compete with each other either in duels or in in um, multiplayer environment. That's what is happening. You want to take this a step further. You know, India is not one homogeneous country where you could just do one game and put it across. You got to think about all the states, all the languages, all the li- even local regulations. Like even within India, real money gaming is not allowed across the entire country. Real money gaming is across specific states. I think there are five states or four states which do not allow um, real money gaming in. But if you really want to get into the true um, um, you know, heartland of the country, then you want to think about languages, right? There are uh, at least uh, 20 different languages you've got to think about uh, where you need to be. In the south, there are four southern states where you need to have different language content. In the east, there is different content. You need to adapt the game for um, uh, for different types of, uh, not genres, but even the characters, the colors, what you're using, right? You think about languages, right? Like you, uh, and it's not something new. Like in Europe, when you want to go out and and um, do games and you want to promote your games in Germany you go out with German you go out with French games you got to think exactly like 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 uh, those itself right so it's exactly the same phenomena that global games will have to kind of follow that through obviously what is also now going to happen is because of the tremendous influx of capital you have local companies who are also producing content for India so I think global players do have a lot of competition uh, but what global players do have is access to capital. So uh, in my, the way I think about this, you will have a lot of these global companies actually collaborating and working very closely with some of the local companies uh, to to build those IPs, right? I don't think mm-hmm. so. A lot of the companies will be able to do it alone themselves. They will find a suitable partner. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree that, you know, you need to to have the, the partner that know the culture and will be able to develop uh, relevant content. Um, moving on, I just wanted to ask you uh, a different question. If you had a time machine, and you can go back, um, you know, a few years. We'll, we'll start with you, Ismet, when you started um, raising uh, the fund. Uh, what would you do differently? Um, very honest answer. I would raise more money. <laughs> uh, so we started with $30 million. But what, what we were expecting to spend it. Uh, three years, but it seems that that it will last us for two years at maximum. Uh, so yeah, definitely will raise a lot, lot, lot more money. So very honest and quick answer. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's perfect. That the one that I was looking for. And Vikas. Yeah, you know, we are we are too young a company to kind of uh, look back and say, what would you do differently? We are just like eight months, seven, eight months old as a company. But yeah. the only thing that I often kind of wonder and think about is like, maybe I should have done this a little earlier, right? <laughs> uh, gaming is such an exciting field. Obviously, it's not that I've been out of gaming. Uh, at Ad Colony, we were into gaming, but we were, we were a service provider, right? We were helping game developers at that point of time. But that 
there's so much of action and excitement in gaming. There's so much of innovation that is happening in gaming that it's addictive. Like you, 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 you yeah. get up every day and you think that there is, wow, this is a possibility. That is a possibility. And you want to do so much more. And the only thing I just keep thinking about is why, what took me so long? I should have done this <laughs> not in 2020, but 2018. <laughs> That's that's the Ed, Ed Colony was like <laughs> hugging you, you know. They didn't yeah. want you to look so quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, think you know, I, I actually wanted to leave, and they sent it. Sent me, you know, they threw the carrot of San Francisco and said, "Why don't you run that global yeah, business?" Just one year, <laughs> manage this, do that. I, I know, I know this, I know this. Um, that, that's great. And and just to summarize that, um, thinking about you know what we discussed for for the last uh, you know forty five minutes. What is like kind of like the top three things that that you want people uh, to remember from from this conversation? It can be two things. Um, Fikas, we can start with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, two, two things. Uh, you know, Asia, uh, you know, I would leave you with that one billion users, one billion gamers coming into the market. It's hard to ignore. I think that market is is. You know, it might be only $2 billion, $3 billion that you think about India and Southeast Asia as a gaming region, but this market is going to become 5 to $10 billion very, very quickly. So it's it presents a huge opportunity for global companies as well as for local companies. So that's one thing. Second, I would just say, uh, you know, you got to be the best in what you're doing, right? So uh, if you're competing with some of the bigger global players in the space, you've got to have the content that is world-class. And what that really means is, you know, you've got to think about competitive multiplayer social games. The days of single-player games are gone. I, I, you know, not that there will not be any single-player games and IPs that will be created, but it's incredibly hard for those games to kind of stand on their own feet in the long run. So think competitive multiplayer social games. Um, that would be my second point. And last but not the least, always innovate. You know, don't rest with what's what is the status quo, what is what is accepted in the market, right? Uh, three years ago, four years ago, everybody was saying IAPs, IAPs, IAPs. Like, you know, that's what it is. Today, advertising, advertising, I think the world somewhere resides in the middle. Um, and there's tremendous amount of innovation that's going on. People used to think it's, you know, 99 cents and $1.99 cents. Today, it's transactions are going in micro. It's a, don't rest with status quo. Like, you've got to go out and do something new. And that's, it's such a young market that people accept. Like, if you give give them a newer, newer offering. That's what I would say. Perfect. Ismet? Yeah, um... Three things. Uh, I'm trying to give very top line uh, pillars for that one. Uh, first one is um, adjusting and adapting the changes. So you need to follow right trend. You need to move at the right moment. I think this is one of the most important things that we have discussed today. Uh, and second one is uh, working with right partner is critical, whether it is a big player across the world or local publishing partner in your regions, whatever it is, based on your, your requirements, based on your needs, uh, you need to work with right, pa uh, right partner. And the last thing that I can mention, especially about on, on today's call, is working with right talents, right? It, I think it is the most crucial thing that we have discussed today. So you need to work with right talents, right team members that can help you to achieve your your goals as soon as possible. So yeah, that's that's the three things that I can give as a quick takeaway for today's post podcast. Like Amazing. adaptation, 
uh, working with right partner and working with right talent. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you guys for for your time. I really enjoyed, uh, learned a lot, and um, yeah, we'll we'll follow you carefully. Thank you, you all. Really enjoyed being part of the po- podcast. Really enjoyed being part of the podcast as well. Thanks. It was a pleasure for me too. Thank you so much for listening to the episode today. Next month we will be back with another interesting guest, and in the meantime, please make sure to hit the subscribe button. Uh, on your podcast software so we can make sure to update you with any new content that we will be releasing so for now on have a great day and see you soon